Tonight's scripture is from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 to 22. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought, brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, Israel worked hard, and they played hard, and they knew when it was time to go have fun. And every fall, they would take a break, and they would have a whole week where they would just go have a little festival. And we're not going to take a whole week, but we are going to take next Sunday off and just go have fun. Over at uh, the park behind Kanzler Y, same time as the service, I just really want to encourage you to come. Uh, even if you're thinking, I'm not sure if I, this is really my home yet, or that might be a little odd to go to a party like that. No, we, we need to play together a little bit. We're not going to have a service this year. We're going to have some baptisms, uh, and then food trucks and games, and just supposed to be beautiful weather. So, love to have you come out. Time Magazine runs a little feature at the end of the magazine every week on a prominent cultural or political figure, and... Last week, they featured Sally Quinn, and uh, she's a prominent journalist in Washington and has just come out with uh, a book called um, Finding Magic. And in the book, she talks about her belief in magic, psychic powers, spells, and curses. And they interview her, and they talk about all of this. And I remember being kind of struck that they would that's not who they usually feature at the uh, end of the magazine. And I, I, I wondered, on the one hand, were they thinking, well, this will be kind of cute to throw this out there because we're all very sophisticated now. We all have iPhones. We know there's no spiritual world. Maybe that's what they were thinking. I, though, wonder if what they're realizing is naturalism is dying. Uh, the belief that there is no spiritual world and that you can explain everything just through a microscope is going away. People are realizing the world's just too wild and crazy and mysterious for that. I'm sure encountering that with the things that I'm reading, the people that I'm talking to, is an increasing openness to the spirit world. Now, Mrs. Quinn is actually describing a world that's very much like the one we find in the Bible. Uh, a world teeming with spiritual powers, both good and evil. Paul puts it like this to the Ephesians. He says, We wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world. Those are words that Paul uses for demonic spirits that both oppress us personally and work in the systems uh, to keep us from being all God wants us to be. And from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's confronting these 
these powers, it's a major theme of the Gospels. Mark says Jesus, quote, traveled through Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. The Apostle John, in his letter, says the whole world is under the power of the evil one. Paul describes Satan as the god of this age. Peter speaks of Satan as a roaring lion seeking those whom he can devour. And there are two different ways, and we're kind of oversimplifying, but in the interest of time, there's two different ways that uh, the Bible talks about how we encounter these spiritual powers. Uh, First of all, they can afflict us personally or individually. Uh, They can be at work in sickness and suffering. Luke says that God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit in power, and he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. So that's one way that they can afflict us. They can afflict our bodies. They can also mess with our thought life. The the Bible calls Satan the accuser of the brethren, the father of lies. Paul says, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. They can set up in in our spiritual house like squatters in stubborn areas of the flesh and have influence there. Paul says, be angry and don't sin and don't give a foothold to the devil. But he also says that these same demonic spirits can work through the systems and structures of the world. Peter's readers knew that very well. As a matter of fact, there was a code word that the early Christians used to describe Rome, who was persecuting them, and it was Babylon. And they used Babylon in the book of Revelation to talk about their persecution. This is from Revelation 18. Speaking of Christ's triumph over Babylon, over Rome, he says, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She's become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit. And all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. So when the the early Christians looked out at the world, they saw a very spiritual world that afflicted them both individually with their thought life, even sometimes with their illnesses, They saw it affecting their communities, and they saw it in a cosmic level working through uh, the Roman Empire to oppress them. Now, the way they would have coped with this was through magic. Magic was uh, the way almost every first century person coped with this spiritual world. And there's fascinating literature about all the different things that they would use to protect themselves from evil spirits. And one of the things that the biblical writers are doing is that they are saying to the the, the new converts who are coming out of this magical spiritual world, they're saying, look, you don't have to use magic anymore. You don't have to protect yourself with spells and curses and hexes and things around your neck and things that you burn. You don't have to do that anymore because Jesus Christ has defeated Satan, become his authority, and you now share in his authority because you've been united with him by faith in what he calls baptism. That's the good news and the hope of the gospel. And if you read the New Testament, you see that come up many, many, many different ways. So that's the point that this strange text we have before us tonight, and if we could put it up there as much as we can, uh, the details are very confusing. Um, And I, and I, I did have a uh, a moment or two in preparing where I thought, perhaps we'll just skip this one <laughs> and go on to the next one because we get into some crazy stuff. 
But one of the principles of biblical interpretation is let the clear interpret the unclear. And so you always start with what's clear, and then you work in the funky stuff. If you want to start a cult, start with the funky stuff and ignore all the rest, okay? So we'll start with what's clear, and we're going to look at 18, and we're going to skip to 22 and put them all together. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, and if we can go to 22, who's gone, and Christ has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been subjected to him. That's not only a summary of the gospel, that is a development of one of the victorious triumphs of the cross, that Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, defeated Satan, took the wrath intended for us, paid the penalty of our sins, and freed us from being captive to spiritual power. That's what this passage is about. This passage is about Christ's victory over the powers. According to Luke, Jesus' death turns us from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. According to Hebrews, Jesus shared in our humanity so that by his death he might break the powers of him who holds the powers of death, that is, the devil. According to John, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. One writer puts it like this, Jesus' death is not only a transaction of my sin being placed onto Jesus' account, there's much more. Jesus lets the powers do their worst to him. He takes the full brunt of sin. He drinks the dregs of judgment. He allows death to hold him in its clutches. Then in the midst of a powerless death, he emerges a divine saving power to forgive, redeem, and renew. The festering cancer of sin has at last heard news of its cure. In the apex of death, life rises with healing in its wings. And we get to share in that victory because we have been baptized or united with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. Now, we're going to try to apply this to our lives, but let's look at verses 19 to 21. Uh, Let's go to verse 19 and try to figure it out. In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, verse 20, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Now, I know at this moment, this is like visiting your grandfather in the nursing home when uh, you're going along fine and all of a sudden he's off on a tangent. Uh, It would have made sense to them because this was actually a form of teaching the rabbis used called midrash, where you would start to piece together different scriptures and kind of package them all in the same way. And he's actually quoting here from a book that most scholars and most Jews would have read at the time called First Enoch, which goes back to Genesis 6, where these crazy beings called the Nephilim, see why we're not going to go too far into this, these crazy beings called the Nephilim mate with the sons of men and bring upon God's wrath upon the world. And these angelic beings who mate with the sons of men, who bring God's judgment, become understood to be the demonic powers that are at work in the world systems. Okay, that's what's behind this obscure verse. What is Peter saying? Peter is saying that Jesus Christ, if we go back to uh, 19, he's saying, in his risen state, preached 
to the demonic spirits of his victory. It's a way, it's, it's a way of showing that he has authority over the spirit realm and that he has gone everywhere it exists to, pro- to proclaim his power to kind of plant the, fra- the flag. Now, the mention of Noah, if we could go back down to 19 and then 20 and 21, the mention of Noah makes Peter think of something else. Verse 21, that is baptism. If you were uh, looking at baptismal art from the 3rd century, you would notice that on the baptismal font was an ark. Because the early church saw the ark as a symbol of baptism. That just as Noah's family was saved by getting into the ark, we are saved through baptism, through uniting with Christ by faith. And that that baptism doesn't cleanse us outwardly, but creates in us a pure conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, here's what's interesting about this. The early church knew nothing of a non-baptized believer. Now, you probably know that you know, Christians have argued about this for years. This is a favorite verse of the Catholic side of the debate. Baptism now saves you. There's a bunch of verses on the Protestant side of the debate. Thief on the cross, he wasn't baptized. We could go on and on all night. The, the point is, wherever you land, baptism's really, really important. It's really, really important. I understand it to be a big picture of everything that's involved in coming to Christ. Of yielding yourself and surrendering yourself and going under the water as you go into Christ and rising up again as you rise with Christ. That's what baptism is. And one of the reasons baptism was so important in the early church was it was when you stood up and proclaimed which side you were on. Years ago, and most of you are too young to to have remembered this, but, uh, oh man, I am that old now. Darn, I hate it when I say that. It's like when I use Led Zeppelin jokes, nobody knows who's talking about. Um, There was a day when communists were actively evangelizing in the West. And they were actively recruiting people to the communist cause. And the first thing that they would do was they would send you out to a street corner to hand out literature. Because they knew that if they could get you to go out and take a stand, a public stand for their cause, it would solidify your commitment to the cause. And in a similar way, just in a, just a similar way, I think that's one of the reasons why Christ commands that we be baptized. Because it is the moment when you make public where you stand to the powers and everybody else. And if you are not to the point where you're willing to do that, the Bible would suggest that maybe you haven't quite come to faith. Because coming to faith is being willing to name Christ as your Savior and Lord. Uh, An old friend who recently passed away, John D., grew up on the mission field in Africa, and his father was a pastor. And he would tell stories, uh, and I think sometimes my memory the stories get better the older I get, and it's maybe one of them. But I think I remember seeing a video where when his, pa- his father was working in a, in, a, in a village where people were heavily into magic and things like that, and when they'd come to Christ and baptize him, the demonic spirits would just manifest all over the person and try to drown him as they uh, 
uh, as they were forced to let go of their victim. And I've heard stories like that from many parts of the world. Uh, I think something happens when you get baptized spiritually. Sunday, we're doing baptisms. If you haven't been baptized, you need to be baptized. If you haven't been baptized, you need to be baptized. If you haven't been baptized, you need to be baptized. Okay? Talk to me. Uh, We'll get together this week. We'll look at what the scriptures say. Even if you're new here, even if you just got your hair done, whatever it is, uh, we'll we'll buy you a cap or something. We need to get you baptized. So talk to me. We're going to do that. So here's what I think Peter's saying in this difficult passage. He says, I know you're being persecuted. I know you face opposition. I know it's spiritual. I know you're battling the powers. You used to use magic to fight them. You messed around with spells and curses. You don't need to do that anymore. Jesus has suffered for us, bringing us to God. He defeated Satan at the cross. He proclaimed his victory to the entire spiritual world. You now share in this victory because you've been baptized into Jesus Christ. Be encouraged. That's what this passage is about. Now, if Daryl will hear you do something, can I just get a little kind of like, amen? Okay, just a little something. Okay, gee whiz, I tell you. Okay. Now, what does that mean for us today? C.S. Lewis uh, said that there were two mistakes we make when it comes to the devils. Uh, He meant demonic spirits. One of the mistakes is that we overemphasize them. You know, everything is spiritual warfare. Demons are responsible for everything. Everything's about casting out wicked spirits. The other mistake is we underemphasize them. We just ignore them. We're too smart for that. Uh, We don't worry about that. But the biblical reality is somewhere in the middle, right? That there really are spiritual powers and we need to pay attention to them. Now, a professor of mine once said that dealing with spiritual warfare is, is like the way we deal with germs. You know, normally, you don't go out of your house every day worrying about germs. If you live a healthy life, you generally don't have to worry about germs. And the same is true with the spiritual world. If we live a spiritually healthy life, normally we have immune systems that protect us from spiritual germs. Peter has laid out the fundamentals of good hygiene in this letter. Uh, He talks about, of course, it all coming from union with Christ. He talks about living a holy and pure life. Talks a lot about our relationships. Do you remember that? We had a couple sermons where we looked about how we handled our bitterness and how we handled our slander and our malice and how we put that away. He talked about avoiding the passions of the flesh. Uh, I I would say if we were going to use this medical metaphor and keep pushing it, Relational conflict is like smoking. I mean, there are a couple things, right? If you really want to mess up your health, go do that. Uh, or, or like eating Twinkies all the time, you know, whatever you want to call it. Pick, pick your poison. But there are just a few things that we can do that almost ensure that we're going to get sick. And relational conflict, unresolved relational tension, not being able to forgive allowing anger to simmer in your heart, nursing bitterness. That's, that's almost like putting a bullseye on your heart. I'm just saying, hey, ah, hit me. So the first way that we deal with spiritual warfare is we just have good spiritual hygiene. Um, we, we take care of ourselves. 
Now, sometimes we can become infected by a demonic spirit. And in Ephesians, that's when Paul talks about don't let your anger overcome you so that the devil doesn't get a foothold or a place or an opportunity. I think that's what he's referring to is that even though a wicked spirit can never possess a believer, a wicked spirit can afflict or oppress a believer uh, by setting up camp in a particular area of your life that you've allowed to get infected, not given over to him. Now, you've got to be very careful here when you're diagnosing a spiritual infection. The Bible says that we wrestle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. There's a lot of reasons why I could be struggling with something, why you could be struggling with something. Uh, mental illness is real. Biochemistry is real. We have hard days. There's things going on all around us. You want to be real careful when you say, I think this is the spiritual warfare. I think this is a, a, spiritual, a wicked spirit is afflicting. You've got to be really, really, really careful. But you don't want to go all the way to the other side or that's not even a part of our diagnostic category, right? So let me suggest possible warning signs that you may have a spiritual infection. One is blasphemous thoughts that increase in worship or prayer. Uh, one of the ways you can tell that there's something spiritual going on is it intensifies when you come into a worship service or you pick up the scripture or you just find yourself just, I, oh, I, just, would ne- I just have no desire to be around the people of God. That's a possible sign. Second are demonic dreams. Um, Third, harsh and abusive self-talk that you cannot control. Uh, Fourth, stubborn resistance to the normal means of grace and the normal means of medical and therapeutic healing. And by that I just mean, you know, you're doing the normal things that create health. You're in community. You're confessing sin. You're not living some double life. Uh, If you have a mental health issue, you're getting good psychological help. You're talking to a physician about your body. I mean, you're doing the basic things and nothing seems to change. And then fifth, irrational anger and repulsion towards spiritual leaders or anyone who might be able to help you find spiritual freedom. So, what, what should you do if you think you might have a spiritual infection? Um... First, practice the normal means of grace and the normal means of medical and therapeutic healing. Just kind of go back and do an inventory. Um, go back and look at your life. And you might sit down with a, with a friend to do it. I've got a friend who I love deeply right now who I just cannot get to go to the doctor. And uh, I'm just afraid we're going to lose him. He will not go get a physical. And he's a, he's a good man. But there is something in him that does not want to go. And I think we can be like that spiritually, too. Because I, I, here's what I think. I think he knows something's wrong. And I think he would rather live in denial than actually go to the doctor. And I think we can do the same thing spiritually, right? You kind of know something's wrong. But you've gotten comfortable with it. You've kind of learned how to handle it. Life's working okay. So you don't deal with it. So that's the first step, is to check out the normal means of grace. Second thing you can do 
um, is if you think you might have an infection, you could go tomorrow night to the healing service in the chapel that starts about 6.30, and you could just ask people to pray for you. Um, what I find, there's this funny commercial, I find it funny, you might not find it funny, but a guy is uh, he's on the phone with his surgeon, and he's like in his kitchen, and he has a knife, and the surgeon's saying, okay, put it here. <laughs> it's really hard to operate on yourself. And so sometimes, if, if you've got some of these symptoms of a spiritual infection, blasphemous thoughts, irrational anger, the normal means of grace aren't working anymore, um, you might go get some prayer just to see if it might loosen up a little bit and you might get a little perspective. And so that's something you could do tomorrow night. Um, I'm going to tell you the last thing, but I want you to just check in with yourself right now, okay? Just stop for a second. What is going on in you right now? If you have blanked out, if you're filled with blasphemous thoughts, if fantasies have overtaken your mind, you don't know where they've come from, if you're wanting to run out of the room, if you're confused, those are signs we might just call resistance, that something may be going on. I mean, this isn't the greatest sermon in the world, but it's not that bad uh, to make you want to run out of the room, okay? So if something's going on in you right now where you feel really irritated and angry, that's a sign that you, we might be hitting something here, right? We might be pushing into a little something here. So um, we're going to have some prayer after service too. And what I find is that a lot of times it just takes a season of praying through these things to kind of loosen them up. So you might get some prayer there too. The, the last thing I'd suggest that you can do if you think you might have a spiritual affection is pray an ancient spiritual warfare prayer. And these are prayers that have passed the test of time. Uh, I've used them many times in my life. The church has used them over thousands of years. And I'm going to end with one David Leach reminded me of. It's St. Patrick's Breastplate Prayer. St. Patrick is, of course, the founder of Celtic Christianity. This is a wonderful prayer. We've been praying another Patrick prayer for, uh, for homes. When you've moved into homes... One of the things that we've started to do, you've been calling the shepherder team, you know, shepherding team, and we go over and we pray this wonderful liturgy over your house. It's kind of a house blessing. It's been really rich. So let me end. Um, it's, it's kind of a long prayer, uh, and you can get it on the Internet. I arise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity through belief in the threeness, through confession of the oneness of the creator of creation. I arise today through the strength of Christ's birth with his baptism, through the strength of his crucifixion with his burial, through the strength of his resurrection with his ascension, through the strength of his descent for the judgment of doom. I arise today through the strength of the love of cherubim, in the obedience of angels, in the service of archangels, in the hope of the resurrection to meet with reward in the prayers of the patriarchs, in the predictions of the prophets, in the preaching of the apostles, in the faith of the confessors, in the innocence of holy virgins, in the deeds of righteous men. 
I arise today through the strength of heaven, the light of the sun, the radiance of the moon, the splendor of fire, the speed of lightning, the swiftness of wind, the depth of the sea, the stability of the earth, the firmness of rock. I arise today through God's strength to pilot me, God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to guide me, God's eye to look before me, God's ear to be near me, God's word to speak for me, God's hand to guard me, God's shield to protect me, God's host to save me from snares of devils, from temptation of vices, from everyone who shall wish me ill afar and near. I summon today all these powers between me and those evils against every cruel and merciless power that may oppose my body and soul, against incantations of false prophets, against black laws of pagandom, against false laws of heretics, against craft of idolatry, against spells of witches and smiths and wizards, against every knowledge that corrupts man's body and soul, Christ to shield me today against poison, against burning, against drowning, against wounding, so that there may come to me an abundance of reward. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I rise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. Let's pray. Let's pray. 